Venturing Voices provides a platform for women in South Carolina who get shit done. I'm Nell Fuller, the co-founder of FemX Columbia and Fem Capital, and each week I'll dive deeper into the stories of inspirational women who make an impact in the Columbia community and beyond. Welcome to Venturing Voices. This week, I'm really excited to be talking with Ann Warner of REN, the Women's Rights and Empowerment Network here in South Carolina. And she is a tremendous force around women's rights in South Carolina and, you know, leads an organization that has made momentous change since they developed years ago, but also is, you know, one of the, the few that is really doing this at the State House in South Carolina. So thank you, Anne, and welcome. Thank you, Nell. It's so fun to be here with you in the basement, <laughs> you and Trey. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, tell me a little bit about you just to get started. Sure. So um, I have now lived, I'll start with Columbia, because I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, there's, there's a lot about your work here that is so focused on the community. So that's where I feel led to start is my time here in Columbia, which has been about five and a half years. Mm -hmm. I moved to Columbia with my family um, five and a half years ago to, to start Wren. And um, at the time, my sons were tiny. They were baby and um, two, and now they're six and eight. And um, my husband and I decided to move here from Washington, D.C., and we're both from the South. He's from Charleston. I grew up in Atlanta and Charlotte. So after about a decade of living in New York and DC and um, working overseas, we were really excited to have just a whole new life here in Columbia. And um, we didn't really know what we were getting into when <laughs> we when we decided, when I decided to take this incredible professional opportunity, but also right. it was a big life change for our family. Um, so yeah, you know, that kind of sums up, um, the snapshot of my life right now, mom of two young boys and CEO of a nonprofit organization, um, that's a statewide organization, but deeply rooted here in Columbia. That's where we're based and, um, and really proud to call this place my home now. Yeah. So how did you get, how did you get to Columbia? Like, what did it look like before then? Yeah, it wasn't a straight line for sure. It has been uh, a meandering path to mm -hmm. get here. Um, but like I said, I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta and then we moved to Charlotte, um, when I was in high school and that's where I graduated from high school and then went to school in the Northeast, um, to college and, um, then moved back down to Atlanta. And I started my nonprofit career immediately after college and have only worked in nonprofits okay. in the 20 plus years since. <laughs> um, and started out working for an HIV service organization um, based in Atlanta called Aid Atlanta, which does um, education and prevention work um, and, and health services for around HIV and AIDS. And so that was an incredible kind of launching pad for learning a lot about different kinds of nonprofits. And then right. I really wanted to do the global work. Um, and I got a lucky break when I was really young to go work for CARE, 
which is an international relief and development organization, which has its U.S. headquarters based in Atlanta. Okay. And um, I had done fundraising in my previous job, so I was hired to do fundraising for CARE. Um, so the work was similar, you know, great writing, relationship management, that kind of thing, but on a whole different um, scale. Right. So going from the, the local um, state-based work to really global work, and that pulled me into that whole sector of international development. And I was traveling um, all around the world to Sub-Saharan Africa, South Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, um, working on a huge range of stuff and learning like (laughs) a little about a lot. Right. (laughs) A time skimming the surface of a lot of fascinating places and topics. And um, loved that work, but I didn't want to do fundraising forever. Mm -hmm. So I decided to to kind of pause and go back to grad school and try and beef up some of my core um, kind of professional skills um, related to policy analysis, um, program planning, um, you know, kind of econ and stats and um, all those things that I thought I'd use in my job. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. To some extent. Yeah. We've all done that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It seemed like something that I needed to do to be able to go continue to, to, to move ahead in the field. So, right. um, left care and went to, uh, grad school in New York at Columbia university and got a joint master's in international affairs and public health. And, um, loved that, loved living in New York, didn't want to leave, yeah. but ended up leaving for, um, a job opportunity in DC. Right. Went to go work for the international center for research on women. And my, my, uh, grad career and research had focused on um, gender-based violence and complex emergencies. So I'd gotten a a good amount of experience in research as well as gender analysis and understanding how um, gender affects a lot of different experiences people have in their lives and and the access that they have um, and the vulnerabilities that they experience. Um, Did my research in Liberia, um, which was a really incredible place to be not long after the civil war had ended there. Wow. And, um, anyway, was able to bring that kind of academic and, um, experiential learning to the international center for research on women, um, which is a, uh, they call it a, not a think tank, but like a do tank. So right. they do a lot of research program design and evaluation work in, um, developing countries, mm-hmm. um, but really related to issues affecting women and um, use that work to shape policy and practice. So I worked on a lot of different projects with ICRW for eight years, mm-hmm. um, did a lot of work on the topic of child marriage and adolescent girls' rights and worked, again, all over the world. Um, and I loved that job. I loved my colleagues. I loved the places I got to go and learn. And um And at the same time, was also increasingly concerned about some of the issues going on right here in the United States, and especially in the South, with um, stripping away women's reproductive rights, um, as well as just a myriad of other really concerning issues that were coming up. Um, So, and then we had a baby and then another baby. (laughs) (laughs) So there was also that life stuff happening. Right. Which was like, gosh, it's really hard to 
um, do this work and try and be present for my kids. Right. And um, maybe we need a different kind of lifestyle. So really it was a professional and personal worlds colliding and having this opportunity here in South Carolina um, mm-hmm. to, to take some of the insight and knowledge I had built by working around the world, but kind of pulling it in and working closer to home and in a community where I would be, you know, raising my kids and paying taxes and, and really have, um, I felt like I could make a deeper impact and an impact that I really had a vested interest in, um, for my own family um, and for my neighbors and community members. Yeah. I love that. Um, I've heard that from all different sects of people that have come to Columbia. It's, you know, that I can make a bigger difference here. Like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of room for growth, whether it's in Columbia or South Carolina or the Southeast as a whole. And so it's exciting to have, to to watch the population here grow with people that are passionate Mm -hmm. about improving the state that we're in. Um, Yeah. And I've been so impressed when I, since I, moved here like from the very beginning about how open people are to collaboration and being really creative about what that looks like you know in dc there's a lot of competition Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of um people slicing out their very specific kind of focus (laughs) and protecting that right you know fiercely and feeling like you know you have to protect your funding and your partners and because that's your space and you can't let anybody else play in that space or you might be risking your own, you know, that own, your own quote unquote ownership over that. Right. Um, and I didn't really realize that when I was there, but coming here, it was so refreshing to feel like there's just a lot of, lot more freedom to figure things out and to just have ideas and work with people and people are open to that. And, um, you know, not always excited, but usually (laughs) they are and want to see, um, want to see change, um, in a positive way. So that's just been really fun for me. Yeah. So talk about some of the parallels with, um, the parallels, I guess, and the differences with working internationally in, um, women's, an organization that focuses on women's rights and women's health to Columbia, South Carolina, and some of the issues that women in the Southeastern United States face. Yeah. I think about that a lot. I think that there are a lot of similar, um, root causes to similarities in the problems that we face, um, and some of the root causes of them, you know, it's all related to power, right? Right. And people in power wanting to keep their power and, um, and, uh, uh, kind of a, a resource scarcity mm-hmm. when there are scarce resources, the people in power want to do whatever they can to keep, to keep their access and to keep right. other people's access diminished. And, you know, that shows up in the patriarchy and the way that, um, men seek to control women, you know, maybe not blatantly, but discreetly sometimes. And the way that women are sometimes informally excluded from opportunity, but still excluded nonetheless. Right. There are all these barriers and sometimes they're invisible or unspoken, but they're, but they're there. I mean, you know, the, the 
on their face, many of the, the laws and policies here in South Carolina might not seem discriminatory, but when they're applied, they definitely are. Right. Um, and, you know, I think it's trying to um, translate those unspoken or invisible barriers into things that people can actually see, relate to, and feel like they can do something about. Right. So they don't seem so abstract or so overwhelming. Right. But they are, you know, their laws and policies and a lot of time mindset, like those have been created by us. Right. So we can transform those um, as well. Um, and a lot of it, ultimately, what's, what's similar is that real change comes from building relationships with people. And having that like human understanding and connection to have people understand where you're coming from and to see it, help them see it from their point of view. Now, sometimes pressure and other things are necessary when that human connection just isn't sufficient. But I found like, if you, if you don't have a way of connecting with and relating to people, then you're never going to get anywhere. Right. Um, so, and that's one of the things that I've really enjoyed about being here is because it's allowed me to build those relationships over time, um, with people who are in a position to make a difference, no matter where they sit, whether they're a policymaker, community advocate, you know, a teacher, a parent, right. Like figuring out everybody has power, right. Intrinsic power. Right. And sometimes it just takes, um, time to figure out how to help them tap into that right and to give people the confidence to exert you know that knowledge that they have and I think that um you know talk a little bit about how how Ren is bridging that gap between you know because I think you have your you know your advocacy um lobbying groups over Mm -hmm. here and they're working at the state house to change policy and your policymakers live in a whole nother world over here and then there's all of the people that are actually affected by the policies being made and then you have right. your interest groups over here. I mean, how, how is Ren really working to kind of build a bridge between some of those? Yeah. We try and reach <laughs> all those groups, <laughs> which is hard, you mm-hmm. know, and, and our, um, logo is a nest. And if you've seen our logo, it looks like these little colorful, um, branches or twigs. Some people say it looks like a tornado and sometimes it feels like a tornado, (laughs) but really it's supposed to illustrate a nest and that we're bringing together a lot of different pieces and parts to form something whole. Right. And that really comes through in the people that we try to work with. So it's all the groups that you just talked about, the policymakers, the people who are sitting in the state house who are officially designated with the power to, right. Um, to write and write laws and put laws into place. And then we are working with the advocates um, and trying to increase the number of those civically engaged people. So they're people who, you know, kind of automatically gravitate. They're, they're very politically aware and engaged and they, they will show up easily. But mm-hmm. there's so many more people out there yeah. who don't understand how the system works because nobody really explains it. Right. And even if you know how it works technically, again, those relationships are so crucial. Right. So if you don't have the relationships, it can seem the state house or Congress can seem, or city hall can seem impenetrable. So we try right. to really demystify it um, 
and break down how the process works and actually bring people, try to reduce the practical barriers that people face to getting there, like, you know, having a different times of day, um, providing childcare, um, providing stipends sometimes for people who, you know, just don't have it in their budget to travel to Columbia or don't have it in their, their time to be able to do that. And you're exactly right that sometimes the people who show up aren't always the people who are most affected by right. the policies that are being enacted. And so we're really trying to get more of the people who are most affected to be heard and seen and respected and listened to at right. the state house. Um, and that we're doing through coalition building because as a policy and advocacy organization, we're not the folks who are, you know, usually front and center in community, right. nor do we think that's a like necessarily appropriate for our organization. We do community organizing, but we always do that in partnership with the organizations that are known and trusted and have credibility in those communities um, that we're trying to engage. And so that work um, just takes time. And that's so much of it is about that trust building, relationship building, and then overcoming those practical barriers that people have. And we really saw that if I can give an example, yeah. um, earlier this year when the S1, the six-week abortion ban, was um, debated and ultimately passed in the legislature, mm-hmm. and we saw just this tremendous surge in activism by people who were like, oh my gosh, they're serious. Right, right. In a pandemic, <laughs> this is what the focus of our legislature is on, you know, actually taking health care away right. from people right and you know removing constitutional rights that like in an, in an extreme and dangerous way right and so that first of all really woke a lot of people up and then we along with our partners and using a lot of different communications tools tried to provide those bridges so people could make their voices heard and that you could see by huge numbers of people who showed up to testify at the state house, Mm -hmm. which is no small feat. Right. And then the people who um, drove in circles around the state house honking because during a pandemic, we didn't want to have huge in-person rallies. It wasn't safe. So we came up with, uh, our team came up with other creative ways to have people's presence be heard. Right. (laughs) Which shows a lot about, you know, the way that, 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 they make decisions about which bills to hear and which bills to pass, mm-hmm. you know, in a time when people can't come together. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's yeah. horrifying. They, I think, saw an opportunity mm-hmm. to get something done right. and hoped that it wouldn't get a lot of attention. Well, right. they were certainly wrong about that. Got a lot of attention. Got a, we we. And our partners just got so many people to show up, speak up. And that kind of activism is um, something that we can build on to advance this broader gender justice movement that is really needed here in South Carolina. And I think, you know, to one of your questions earlier, one of the things we do is show, like, you're not alone in this. Right. If you feel like... Um, upset about the way that 
the state house works or the way that you're being treated at work or in your community, if you feel disrespected or discriminated against or marginalized or you see that in your community and you feel like nobody else cares, a lot of other people care. Right. And so we're sort of seeing and feeling that collective um, movement and that collective insistent that things can be better right. is really emboldening and empowering for a lot of people. You want to feel like you're bigger right. than you know, part of something bigger. Right. That you matter, you know, that your voice matters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so talk, you know, you talked a little bit about the gender justice movement you've done a lot of work around there. I'm imagining it's, it's very difficult to constantly be pigeonholed as like abortion rights. Like when you think about women's, um, Mm -hmm. You know, anything, equal pay, access to care, child care. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, anytime you say I work in, you know, to advocate for women and women's rights, especially in a, in a state like this, you know, you get pigeonholed abortion. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you deal with that? You're right. I mean, it <laughs> comes up all the time and there, there are a lot of people who said like you can't work on abortion, access to abortion and contraception, reproductive health care, and expect to get anything else done. Right. And I have to say that's not right. Right. And I think we really have to stop feeding into that. Right. Because that silencing of ourselves is what, you know, becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And yes, it is politically polarizing. Yes, it is extremely controversial and is a lightning rod. Right. And so it is always the thing that's going to get the most press attention right. and we're going to get the most blowback. But it is far from the only issue that we work on and it's far from the only issue where we're really seeing a lot of progress. Right. Um, we um, were the main advocacy organization behind the passage of the South Carolina Pregnancy Accommodations Act. Mm-hmm. So that bill was groundbreaking because it was the first um, bill in the South to be passed that makes it illegal to discriminate against somebody who's um, pregnant mm-hmm. or who's a new parent and needs to breastfeed in the workplace. Right. So that kind of comprehensive bill had not been passed in the South before right. South Carolina got it done two years ago. And that was Ren behind that, right. you know, trying to make it um, safer for people to carry their pregnancies and earn the income that they need to earn. And we were able to do that because we had partnerships with some unlikely allies um, right. and lots of uh, and lots of um, wonderful champions, um, bipartisan champions in the state house. Mm-hmm. Um, Representative Beth Bernstein was the champion of that bill and was just incredible at yeah. navigating the state house and getting that through. And then we were helping her on the outside. And then we've been working on on paid family leave right. and pay equity and these kind of bread and butter issues that affect the ability of women and all people to be able to be, you know, have a family and work, which, (laughs) you know, sounds so basic, but it's such a struggle for so many people and particularly people who, you know, have the least access to income and opportunity. Um, people in the low wage workforce, you know, people living in rural areas. And so we have to continue to be steadfast and committed to the fact that first of all, 
nobody in South Carolina like lives a siloed life where all they care about is their reproductive health. Like no person lives that life. Right. And so we as a movement can't only focus on that if we're really going to be, you know, advocating for a broader gender justice movement. We have to make sure that South Carolinians are able to decide if, when, and under what circumstances to parent and that they can parent their kids and the ways that keep them healthy, safe, and fed, right. and economically stable. Right. And that also, you know, um, having access to family-sustaining wages and being able to take time off when you need it and, you know, just being able to um, fulfill your basic aspirations in life. Like, those, right. are, those are human dignity issues right. that we can't um, sacrifice. So it's, we have to, uh, we're, it's hard because we're, we're trying to cover a lot of issues mm-hmm. and we can't do everything. Um, but we have a lot of amazing partners that bring, you know, issue expertise and lived experience to the table that we, um, try and amplify and, right. you know, build on as much as we can. Right. Um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. <laughs> So along the way, um, you know, when you, when you work in, in any, you know, any kind of nonprofit or advocacy work, there's always critics that are, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's, you can't make a living doing that or, you know, how could you throw everything behind this particular policy or this issue? Mm -hmm. Um, talk a little bit about how you faced those critics along your journey. Yeah, it's, it's, um, constant, you know, the, the critique, it's not always blatant criticism, mm-hmm. but there are plenty of critiques right. <laughs> of how people think that you should be doing things, especially when you're doing something as ambitious as we're doing. Right. Um, in a male-dominated field. Yeah. In a state that doesn't have a great reputation for women's rights. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people who... I remember when I first came here, um, somebody asked me like, what's the biggest challenge you faced? It was uh, people sort of feeling like change is impossible here. Right. Um, and I have not found that to be true at all. It's not easy, but it's certainly possible. And South Carolina has been home to many, a crucial movement, um, you know, over our history Right. Um, both for and against like human dignity and justice. So a lot has happened in South Carolina for good and bad. And so right. it's not like things don't change here. Things do change. Um, but people have very strong feelings about what that should look like and who, right. who should get to decide. And um, I think the, the, the most important thing is that you don't let those voices inside your head talk you out of doing what you think is right. So sometimes the imagined or anticipated criticism right. is a lot worse than the reality of it. Right. That's such a great point. Um, and so I've had to learn to just take some leaps and I have an awesome, super talented team mm-hmm. of staff and an amazing board and, you know, they are sounding boards for me and for one another. And once we decide to do something, it's not like we're, you know, 
immune to criticism. If somebody says, calls us out and says, this isn't the right way to do it, that we're not going to be thoughtful about that. Right. But we're not going to stop ourselves from taking bold actions just because we're afraid of being critiqued or criticized because we, we wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So when we think about, um, well, before that, talk a little bit about what in particular inspires you to do this kind of work. Do you have a moment or a story or a feeling that really keeps you going and inspires you? I have a lot. I mean, I guess I grew up watching Wonder Woman. Yeah. (laughs) Like the original Linda Carter Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And she was my first like hero. Yeah. And um, just that attitude of a, of a, of a woman who, yeah, she might have superpowers and all that, but like (laughs) she can be the center of the story and she can be a force for good. Right. Um, and so I've always been attracted to stories that center women and women of all backgrounds. So that's where I find my strength and, um, my inspiration and, um, I don't know. It's just, there's, there's not one thing. It's, it's a lot of things and sort of, I guess, a sense of ambition and a sense of conviction that Mm -hmm. we can't get too complacent. We've got to continue pushing and pushing ourselves and the people who are in power to make things better and not just for people like me, but right. for everybody who right. lives here. Right. Like even if it's, you know, to your detriment, but better for the whole, you know, I think that's where people yeah. get caught up a lot. It's not just about you and what's great for you all the time. Yeah. And I, but I also think that ultimately if we're a society that, allows anybody to have access to opportunity that's truly equitable is better for everybody. Right. So, you know, I have relatively a lot of privilege. Um, and I'm conscious of that, but I'm also, um, not fearful of sharing privilege and power um, in a way that, yeah, I mean, there might be some loss of status or something along the way when right. that happens, but ultimately you're creating a society that is going to be better for our kids and right. everybody if we you know, tear down some of those barriers that too many people have had to put up with right. for too long. Right. So I think... I mean, everything you've said speaks to the next question. And why do you continue to venture? So you came down here from New York, D.C., and, you know, jumped into a women's rights organization in the South that was just starting up. Um, It's not easy. It's, you know, it's really challenging. And there's a lot of critics and, you know, missteps along the way. But why why do you continue to venture? Why Why do that? Because it's worth it, um, ultimately. I think that I can't imagine um, having a job or a life that isn't somehow centered around making things better for my family and 
Um, but that doesn't come easily. Right. Um, and I, I just don't, I don't, I can't imagine it any other way. Um, the mm-hmm. status quo I find to be pretty boring. Yes. <laughs> there are some days when it would be nice. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and everybody needs a break, but I think ultimately, you know, we're trying to create a world where everybody's more free Mm -hmm. And that includes me and, you know, all of our freedom and liberation is bound up in in one another. Right. So I think it's worth it. I also think it's fun. Yeah. Um, I think it's a huge, like, I just learn so much every single day. And I think I, I am able to keep myself going when I keep that like beginner's mindset and don't think that I'm like phoning it in or I've got it figured out and I just, you know, I've got the formula. I just need to roll out the formula. Like that is definitely not it. That is not how social change works. Um, but if I stay open-minded and receptive and, um, just ready to meet people where they are and learn from them, Mm -hmm. then it's actually, uh, a super fun, if not always linear and straightforward. Right. <laughs> right. And I've just heard, um, you know, woman after woman say, you know, something so similar on this podcast that it's just, um, you know, being able to make things better for the whole, you know, mm-hmm. as their, as their inspiration and not about, you know, dominating this or making so much money or, you know, building the next big giant thing. But I just, I, I get so much inspiration and so much power from, from hearing women like you who are leading, you know, community change and you're all in on it mm-hmm. and it's just so inspiring. Well, likewise, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, yeah, I think women do tend to bring that to mm-hmm. their leadership style. Um, I think men would be a lot better off if they brought that to their leadership style more. Right. To this like relational, this relational perspective right. of, you know, we're only ever going to get as far as we get as a group, um, as opposed right. to thinking you can just like take all the power and run with it. Sure, you can, but. Right. You're not going to have a very rewarding life. Right. If that's what you, <laughs> that's the way you go about it. So, right. um, I think there's just a lot of, um, a lot to be gained from having a more empathetic, humble and relational approach to leading and working with community. Right. Well, thank you. Thank you. What's next? Is there anything else you want to share? Oh, man. Yeah. So Ren is actually about to celebrate our five-year anniversary this fall. So some days it seems like, you know, it was five minutes ago. And some days it feels like it was eons ago that we publicly launched the organization. Right. But um, the calendar tells me it's coming up (laughs) on five years. Right. So we're really excited about that milestone and about bringing just more and more people into, um, this movement and making it more accessible, um, making more, making, you know, transforming it because we have more people who are part of it. Right. And so, you know, we'll, we'll be doing a lot of fun stuff over the next few months to try and bring more people in. Um, and 
we would love for any of your listeners who want to get more involved with Ren to reach out to me um, because we are, we really do want to get more kind of citizen leaders to be right. part of our network. It can't, and it never has worked just through like our staff alone. Right. It really is um, volunteers who see what's at stake and see right. what's possible and want to like bring that to the people that they, in their communities. So that looks a ton of different ways depending on who you are and what you're into and you know, where you, where your passions are. Right. But we would love to work with, you to to help translate our work into your work and to make those connections yeah yeah well I'm looking forward to it and yeah. you know it's I just yeah I get so much inspiration and power from from talking with women like you that you know have good in their heart and are looking to make things better so thank you for that energy because it takes a lot of it and it's not easy yes well thank yeah. you I think these stories are really really um, important and as I said earlier I get a lot of power and inspiration from people's stories so conversations like these I hope mm-hmm. um, can you know reach others and kind of help us tap into a little bit of that extra energy Thank you so much for listening to our first season of Venturing Voices. I've had such a wonderful time getting to hear stories from such amazing women here in Columbia and across the state of South Carolina. I'm really excited to see you all back for season two, so stay tuned.